0: I walk away with a little hip in my step after a customer interview when they find themselves rambling or when they apologize for rambling because then they're in their own zone. They kind of forgot you're there. They think you're a friend at Starbucks and they're kind of giving their, they take their wall down, their their face off and you're giving it, you're getting a look at the underbelly of what they really think and feel and the struggles and challenges and the wins they have. And that's where you get your golds, your little nuggets that you can run with. And that's when you need to have really good active listening skills. When they are rambling, don't interrupt, ever. (laughs) Don't interrupt. Take a note. And then go back and say, hey, Mark, you mentioned that you don't do this one thing over here. Curious, why? You should be saying why so many times that you dream about it because you need to act in these interviews as if you don't know anything about the industry. And I will caveat that because I do have a story. I did that one time, it was a great interview. I got so much out of it, so many little nuggets I went back to my team and oh my God, Katie, this is amazing and it was great. But in the interview, the customer asked, do you know what we do? Because I asked why so many times. And that was, I think a good thing because I got a lot out of it. But I will say that was a big learning moment for me Caveat, say, I know what you're trying to say, because I'm obviously, obviously, I'm familiar with your industry and your work, you're my client, my customer, but I'd love to hear it in your own words. And that way you kind of check the box, okay, I'm not stupid, number one, number two, give it to me in your own words, but you always say why, that's going to dig deeper every time.
1: Yeah. Welcome to the Product Marketing Life podcast, brought to you by the Product Marketing Alliance and hosted by me, Mark Cassini, Product Marketing Manager at Jopper. Every two weeks, I pull insights from some of the world's most talented product marketers to uncover the secret sauce of successful product marketing. In this episode, I'm joined by Katherine Hibson, an experienced product marketing manager currently at Broderidge. Catherine has over 10 years of experience working with startups, agencies, and in consulting. Most recently, she flexed her product marketing muscles at both CDK Roadster and Ambition. During our chat, Catherine and I dive into all things customer interviews, from overcoming the anxieties around chatting with customers to putting a coherent plan together to make the most out of even the briefest of conversations. All right, with that out of the way, let's dive in. Hey, Katie, how's it going?
0: Hey, Mark, it's good to see you. I'm doing great, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing well, thanks for asking. Good to chat with you again. I know before we hopped on our call here, we were just talking how you and I connected about a month ago, so it's good to to connect with you again. Likewise, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, We'll get into it then. Can you give the listeners a brief overview of your career so far?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I have over 10 years of marketing experience. And in that experience, I've had the opportunity to really do it all, which has been really fun. So I've done agency work where I was the marketing director for our biggest account worth over $6 million. I've done consulting work, which is what I'm actually doing now at Broadbridge Financial Solutions, where um, in previous consulting gigs, I've built competitive intelligence functions from the ground up. And I've done a lot of B two B SaaS startup work, where I was a key member of the go to market team that helped grow the business from 20 million ARR to 60 million ARR. I uh, launched multiple product lines worth millions of dollars that helped power a successful exit during COVID, which was a really scary time, but really exciting to have that kind of success in such a historically different, uh, difficult time. So I've, it's it's been a fun a fun ride, and I've kind of fallen more in love with product marketing um, as each year goes by.
1: Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun, and uh, you know, I'm excited to speak with you specifically because of your time in the agency space. You know, I've I've spoken to a couple of product marketers on the show and outside of the show who have spent some time in the agency world. I myself have spent uh, a very brief period in the agency world, so I know what that's like, albeit um, again for a short period of time. On that note, curious. What were some of your kind of standout moments or at least big learnings from working in an agency setting that you've been able to bring into your time today as a product marketer?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I think anyone who's worked in an agency knows that kind of environment that it, kind of unrelenting, unforgiving clients are always right. You better find a way to get it done by Friday or not even get done by yesterday really to be successful. Um, and I did that in my first half of my career, which I'm glad because I was, I think I was younger and hungrier and more time to throw everything at it. And it really taught me that way of working. So when I went to startups, which was the the second half of that, maybe 10 year experience I mentioned earlier, I already had that culture ingrained in me of you got to go, you got to go, you got to go, you got to get it right. You got to produce because we don't have time not to get it right. And so that wasn't a, a learning curve for me at all. And I think some people do struggle with making that transition sometimes.
1: Yeah, you're right. And then on the flip side, I think it's also why a lot of people who spend time in the agency world tend to excel in a product marketing role, especially in a startup environment, because of that unrelenting pace, as you so adequately described it, as well as that need to, you know, as you said, the the client is always right. And when you're working in a startup <laughs> environment, it's hey, your stakeholders are always right. Well, maybe not always right. Maybe that's a little generous, but uh, you know, the the spirit remains that you've got your internal stakeholders are effectively your clients and you got to do right by them to make sure that they're satisfied and that your customers arguably your biggest stakeholders are the most satisfied so i think that uh, that experience definitely plays well and nicely in your product
0: 100 that's a good uh, good tie to the inverse of that you're absolutely right
1: awesome so you know you're currently pursuing your mba and i've got three quick questions about your decision to do that so i'll start with the first one what prompted you to pursue the mba and what kind of sparked that interest in getting that additional education
0: Ah, good question. So I've always had my eye on getting an MBA. I managed to escape undergrad without taking a single business course. I don't know how I did that. And as like, I've gotten further in my MBA or my uh, my product marketing career, you realize that the product marketing is, is at its core a business function. We are strategic drivers of the business. The things we do, competitive intelligence gathering and analysis, market research, Um developing differentiated messaging and positioning. Those are business functions or they directly influence business functions at the org. And so to really succeed, I think a product marketing function and get a seat at the big voice table in that executive room, you have to tie the fun, creative marketing part to the business side. And you got to understand business to do that. So that's what really sparked my interest and why I'm doing the program right now.
1: I think that makes a ton of sense, I and mean, you're absolutely right. It's very easy in the day to day to get focused on the specific launch you're working on or the specific competitor that you're going up against. Any kind of tactical, you know, day to day gets very easy to to kind of bubble up to be the most important thing you're working on. But if as a product marketer you can't take a step back and see how that launch or how that competitive motion, uh, you know, filters back into the overall strategy of the business and what that larger picture looks like you're ultimately going to get lost in the weeds and you're not going to then be able to tie that output back into how you're driving the overall business forward and move yourself forward within the org so i think you're right i think you know product marketing is one of those roles within the broader marketing group and really across the company where you do get exposure to that you know strategic level thinking but all the tactical execution that comes with the day-to-day side of things so having that mba which really teaches you that foundational strategy i think really does uh, you know support um every aspect of product marketing, which is why I think you see a lot of product marketers either you know coming from an MBA background or considering pursuing one themselves. So I think, I think that makes a ton of sense.
0: Yeah. And we're such a unique position, you, you nailed it. We sit so cross-functionally and such great visibility across the org. It's, it's handed to us of this opportunity of go drive the business, go impact every corner. And I think it's really short-sighted if you don't take advantage of that unique position that we're given with our role.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because you have this broad visibility across the entire order of what different teams and your key stakeholders are working on, you have that ability as a product marketer to pull those things together. Unlike very other, or sorry, very many other roles, in the same way that a senior leader would have to, or you know, people in that exact room would need to be able to pull those pieces together. A product marketer is expected to do the same, albeit at a you know, typically a, a lower level. To use I guess, a lack of a better phrase. Uh, but still, you need to have that you know cross-functional vision. Okay, so Absolutely. my next question, and you touched on this briefly, but curious if we can dive a bit deeper, is what do you think, of, or, or what learnings do you think that you've either you know currently gained or that you will over the coming months um, have helped you become a better product marketer?
0: Great question. So I've already, I think day one, my first class, I was writing down stuff like, oh, I need to think about this for my next role. Um, I think, well, right now I'm taking a course called Managing and Designing Organizations. And it's really taught me how different organizations are structured, why they're structured that way, how to communicate purpose to your employees, why that's even important in the first place. And as you think about how you want to lead your current teams, future teams for all those entrepreneurs out there in the tech space, which I think a lot of product marketers are in the tech space and have an entrepreneur bent to, you need to think about how to structure your org to get the most out of it, be most efficient but also the most um, adaptable, while still having element of control, right? And so this MBA course is teaching me how to implement all those things. So it's you really produce the most um, efficient organization you can to achieve your goals the quickest, and that's what's been the fun part for me so far.
1: Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. And I remember, you know, in pursuing my own undergrad in business, and then ultimately my MBA later, the you know human resource management kind of collection of courses or people leadership courses. Uh, you get varying degrees of kind of interest across the across the uh, the class. Uh, some were like, "Yeah, these classes are great. I love this." Others were like, "Okay, I get it. I got to know yeah. this stuff, but like, <laughs> this really isn't getting me out of bed in the morning to go to class." Um, and it sounds like you've you know found a real passion for that area of the program, which is exciting. And I think, like you said, really lends uh, those learnings really lend themselves to being a product marketer, especially as you take on and, and build out a team for all the reasons that you you just saved it. So I, I can see why that has kind of inspired you or at least, you know, given a lot to your learning so far. And I, you know, undoubtedly will make you a stronger product marketer and, and leader down the road for sure.
0: I think so. I think to, to touch on your point, I think the best way to get the most out of an MBA program, if you're if a product marketer is considering doing that, is to go in with intentionality. So what are you hoping to get out of it? I do have a lot of friends in in various MBA programs right now, and they're doing it because they're not quite sure what's next. And they're kind of hoping an MBA will serve as like, like almost like a career fair. (laughs) I'll try that, you know, which is, that's a perfectly fine approach. That's great, especially if someone else is paying for it. But as a product marketer, I have found kind of what I just said. If you go in with an idea of where your career is going, at least for the next three to five years, what you want to get out of that, it'll be much more valuable, much more engaged. And um, to have a deeper connection with the material. And that's what we're there to do. Right. And it's spending all that time away from your family and your friends and spending that money. Do it with some intention.
1: I think that's fantastic advice, and you know, I said I was going to ask you three questions about your MBA, and that was actually the third one I was going to was going to ask you. So you've you've knocked all three out of the park. So I won't I won't go back to that. Um, but it is also what you just said a great segue. This idea of you know your MBA as a career fair lends itself nicely to our main topic of the conversation today, and this is this idea of um, in the same way you would interview for a role you have to interview customers as a product marketer. So yeah, the good bit stuff. Of a stretch of a segue, but we'll, we'll go with it nonetheless. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's really why I wanted to have you on the show is because you've got a lot of experience in chatting with customers and, and getting some good customer insights. So that's where we'll spend the remainder of our conversation and we'll get right into it. You know, in product marketing, we stress the importance of getting closer to customers so we can be their voice internally. Despite that, a lot of product marketers find it hard to have conversation with customers. Why do you think that's the case?
0: I think it's because we're not taught how to do it. How many frameworks or structures, templates have you found on how to launch a product, how to develop positioning and messaging, do competitive intelligence? I mean, a million. And they're all great. Not taking anything away from those. But how many have you seen about how to interview a customer for product marketing purposes? Not a lot. Or if they are, it's like five questions and you're out. Well, that's not going to carry you through a 30-minute interview or an hour on-site interview, right? And I don't think that's anyone's fault. It's just it's one of those things where it sounds so easy to do and it's really not. So no one takes the time to actually dig into it. But it's so important. It's It's the core of what we do. It's our superpower. I mean, you're another product marketer. How many times have you walked into a meeting? Everyone's not on your side with a particular issue, you whip out your customer insights and everyone shuts up because you have the data and you have the power. And that is why it's so important to learn how to do this right.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's funny you bring up that example because that same experience happened to me literally several weeks ago. Oh. Uh, you know, <laughs> we're, 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 we're thinking about you know, what our strategy is for next year um, at Jobber within my specific areas focus and, and FinTech and you know, we had some of these big questions that we wanted to answer and, you know, what we're going to focus on, um, what are the things we want to accomplish from a strategic perspective, but also how do we then translate those objectives into our product roadmap? And in working very closely with the director of product um, within the FinTech org, he obviously had his ideas with his PMs on the areas that they wanted to address and problems they wanted to solve. But I was able to, after having conversations with customers and bringing that research forward, to present some gaps that you know I don't think anybody or at least hadn't been really brought to the forefront um and we're all was ultimately able to get them on the roadmap and that to me is kind of like the 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 dream of any product marketer is mm-hmm. how can mm-hmm. I get the insights and learnings that I'm getting firsthand from customers and how can I bring those to life through the product roadmap so you know I don't say that to, to to my own horn or to say you know wow what a great product marketer is I say that only because having that customer research and those insights I should say and having those conversations with customers, are the things that make the difference between, you know, your core stakeholders saying, oh, that's just Mark, you know, he's got these ideas and opinions on what we should do, but they're just opinions as opposed to, oh, hey, here comes Mark, the product marketer, who's had 10, 15, 20 conversations with customers. He summarized these surveys that we sent. These are the things that they are asking for, the gaps that he's identified. We should make these things happen for these reasons. And then tying that back into kind of the broader objective and strategy for the year, Um, you know, that's, that's how you make things happen. So I I can agree with you more. And the other thing that I think you're you're spot on that you said is, you know, product marketers, we love a good framework. We love a good tool. We love a good template. And I have found in exploring things in the customer research side, you're right. it's, It's just, Hey, ask these five questions or, you know, these are the things you should be thinking about, which are helpful, but they don't really teach you the how it's the what without the how So I think you're right. Without that how, it can feel very intimidating and scary as a product marketer, especially as a solo PMM, to go into those conversations with customers for the first time and feel like, yeah, I'm going to ask these five questions, but beyond that, then what? Or or how do I even frame up these questions properly to get the insights that I need? Those are things that you don't often see discussed.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And then there's that added pressure of, well, I have to go back to my boss or the organization with these insights, but but this person's not giving me what I need. I don't know how to get it out of them. And I can't keep asking the same questions over and over again. So uh, you absolutely nailed it. It's, it's a tough thing to do, but it's, it's really critical to be successful at our jobs.
1: Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, a lot of product marketers suggest approaching customers like you would anybody else, right? It's almost like it's a casual conversation between two people meeting for the first time. Why do you think that's not necessarily the right approach in most situations?
0: Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that. And I hate when people say that because it should should feel casual to the customer who's being interviewed. It is anything but casual for the product marketer. That is the vibe you want to give off, but we need to go into these conversations with a strategy, with a plan. I don't know about you, but I don't go talk to my barista at Starbucks with a strategy and a plan for a casual conversation. <laughs> Those things don't exist in casual conversations. And the things you do in a normal casual conversation torpedoes a conversation that you're trying to have with a customer. Um, some examples, and we'll get in deeper, I know, later in this, um, the conversation. But for a casual conversation, you are giving verbal and nonverbal cues that you're agreeing or disagreeing or to keep talking or you're interrupting to add a relevant point. Well, you'd never interrupt a customer when you're talking to them, right? You don't want to give the sense that you agree or disagree vehemently with the customer because then they're going to retract or maybe entrench in their position. That's not going to help you get the true information out of them. So you can't go into it with a casual mindset. I I go into these conversations with a a really well-honed strategy and tool. It's a template that I've developed actually um, just enough research by Erica Hall is a book that I, it's actually made for product designers, but I found a lot of good stuff in there for talking to customers and doing research. I highly recommend it. Branding product market is trying to get better at talking to customers and doing customer research. And I can go into the template in detail of how I set the conversation up about to make sure you get what you need out of that. So what I do is i um, Develop a template where it has all those little reminders at the beginning of the conversation that you kind of forget or maybe you freeze, you know, because you're kind of nervous. Things like introducing yourself, <laughs> your title, asking for permission to record the conversation, reassuring them that information is only going to be used for research purposes and won't be shared. All that kind of admin stuff, I like to call it, right? And then what I like to do is outline... um. Three to four motivational topics I want to get out of this conversation. So, what topics do I need from them? I need their, maybe their motivators for the day, maybe their stressors, maybe their, um, their high points during the week and building like a persona, for instance, something like that. And then I develop three to four questions that ladder up to each topic that don't involve them actually asking the question I'm trying to get at. So I have an example pulled up here. If I'm trying to figure out their motivators at work, what gets them going? What gets them excited? I won't ask them that because everyone tells you what they think you want to hear, even if they don't know they're doing it because in the back of their mind, like, well, she might talk to my boss and I don't want to tell them I really hate this job or whatever the thing is, right? So instead, for that example, I'll ask, what are you thinking about when you're driving to work in the morning? What's the first thing you think about when you pull into the parking lot? Park use is obviously maybe in-person work, not remote work. But what are you thinking about when you walk into the office and you see that first person in the lobby? And that will tell you what's on their mind and what their motivator is without asking, what's your motivation? Because then you're not going to get the answer out of that. And this structure and template that I use helps keep me on track and gives me a guide. So when the conversation does go off on tangents, which is great, and that can happen, it should happen, I think sometimes, it does bring you back to, back to base. And so you're not 20 minutes in looking at the clock, you've got 10 minutes left. And all of a sudden you're like, I don't remember the last two topics I want to talk about. I'm completely blanking right now. So it gives you that core foundation to come to come back to. And I found that to be a really pivotal tool in driving my customer reviews in a positive way.
1: Yeah, it's so funny because literally as you were talking um, earlier on, in our conversation. I actually pulled up just enough research myself as well. It's a book that I've read that I have found incredibly helpful. Yeah, I can't recommend it enough. I'm, I'm right there with you. Anybody, uh, any product marketer who's preparing for customer conversations, it's it's a must read. Um, mm-hmm. but, you, but you're right. It, you know, this idea of, I, I like to frame it as leading the witness. I'm guilty of it. I will go in with, hey, these are the things that I want to get out of this conversation. I'm going to ask them almost verbatim. But it does put the kind of respondent or the, or the interviewee in a state that you have kind of confined them in this box, and by asking the questions the way that you have, you know, suggested, and the example that you use, I think, is a beautiful one. Um, it, it allows them to kind of paint by numbers in a way, right? Instead of saying, "Hey," uh, or avoid paint by numbers, I should say, instead of instead of you giving, you know, your customer a piece of paper and saying, "Hey, color this in, put this color here, this color there, this color there," you're saying, "Hey, I'm going to give you this coloring sheet of coloring paper, and this is what I want you to draw, but how you draw it is entirely up to you." Um, and, and I think you'll find you'll you'll get much more insightful outcomes from that because you're not, you know, leading the witness as it were. Um, I think it takes a lot of practice. Uh, and like yes. I said, I know I'm very okay. guilty of it, but but you're right. It, it is something that will take your outcomes from, you know, down here to, to way up here. Paint by numbers is a great analogy. Thanks. I'm good for one of those every once in a while. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I want to ask you, we, we talk about this idea of, um, leaving the conversation with a sense of, I got what I wanted out of it. This was a successful conversation. In, in your opinion, what does a successful customer conversation look like?
0: I walk away with a little hip in my step after a customer interview when they find themselves rambling or when they apologize for rambling because then they're in their own zone. They kind of forgot you're there. They think you're a friend at Starbucks and they're kind of giving, they take their wall down, Their their face off. And you're giving it, you're getting a look at the underbelly of what they really think and feel and the struggles and challenges and the wins they have. And that's where you get your golds, your little nuggets that you can run with. And that's when you need to have really good active listening skills. When they are rambling, don't interrupt ever. (laughs) Don't interrupt, take a note and then go back and say, Hey Mark, you mentioned that you don't do this one thing over here. Curious why you should be saying why so many times that you dream about it. Because you need to act in these interviews as if you don't know anything about the industry. And I will caveat that because I do have a story. I did that one time. It was a great interview. I got so much out of it. So many little nuggets. I went back to my team. And oh my God, Katie, this is amazing. And it was great. But in the interview, the customer asked, do you know what we do? Because I asked why so many times. And that was, I think, a good thing because I got a lot out of it. But I will say that was a big learning moment for me. Caveat, say, I know what you're trying to say. Cause I'm obviously, obviously I'm familiar with your industry and your work. You're my client, you're my customer, but I'd love to hear it in your own words. And that way you kind of check the box. Okay. I'm not stupid. Number one, number two, give it to me in your own words, but you always say why that's going to dig deeper every time.
1: Yeah. I think that's really insightful. And it's almost this idea of explain it to me as if I'm five, right? Like, like exactly. just give it to me in the most, in your own words and the most basic terms And I think that, uh, you know, I also think that just helps you then take that information and disperse it across the org a little bit better as well, because I think oftentimes, at least I know I have experienced, it's easy as a product marketer to take it for granted that not everybody across the org knows customers as in-depth as you might, or as other people across the org might. So I have found in presenting customer findings to developers, for example, right? Developers aren't often able to, not that they don't want to, they just aren't able to interact with customers in the same way that product marketers are. They're typically, you know, required to spend so much time of the day coding or they have to get things out during the sprint. There's just, there's not that flexibility or time. And a lot of the customer interactions they're getting are being filtered to them through the product manager or the product designer on their team. So when you have to then go take the findings of the conversations and present them, maybe you're doing it at a you know company stand-up or a town hall, you have to be able to take that information that we often take for granted that is that really inside baseball and not dumb it down because that's not fair to the developers. It's it's make it say it in such a way that anybody who who, you know, maybe it's their first day starting at the org could understand it. Um and I think that's what helps those insights land a little bit better and, and make them more digestible for for the broader audience. Now, of course, if you're sharing this information with the sales team or the success team and they're chatting with customers every day you don't need to go to that that level but for anybody outside of those customer facing groups i think having that verbatim you know uh, descriptions or answers from the customer is super helpful
0: and i totally agree with that and add on to that don't sleep on uh the people in the like the operations departments legal finance big companies yeah they probably don't need to know startups there's still only a step or two removed from the customer, maybe operations, the people who run your Salesforce operations, they need to know how your customers think about a certain thing or a sales cycle so they can develop better tracking mechanisms, you know? So it, don't just think it's just field facing folks who need to know the customer, especially in startup and smaller organizations, the other back uh, back office folks still need to have a working understanding too, at that fifth grade or a uh, five-year-old kind of level that you mentioned earlier.
1: Yeah, and I think the other benefit just to tack on of having the customer or the person in the interview say it in their own words is you might pick up on ways of describing things that you otherwise wouldn't have picked up on. Certain phrases, certain framings of things. And then to your point of like sales ops, you can then feed that back to the sales ops team. And let's say they're using a listening tool, like a gong, for example, they can then put those phrases and terms into gong to pick up future conversations with sales reps where those same phrases are used. So you, you, you start to develop this customer language or this customer dictionary of the ways your customers talk and you're able to then be smarter about hearing that come up in future conversations and get those insights amplified or just get a you know better pattern identification because you're hearing it more often.
0: Yes, it all starts with having a good customer interview.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, we've we talked a lot about uh, successful conversations. You know, I like this idea of you saying, hey, you know, got a pep in my staff, This conversation was, was a 10 out of 10, but what about conversations that can be, you know, to be generous, less than successful, less productive? Um, you know, I'm sure we've all had conversations where it feels like the customer is just not forthcoming with information. You literally have to pull it out, out of them at times. How do you suggest someone to approach a conversation like that and turn it around? So it does end up being successful.
0: You're right. We've all had those. You can tell they were just told to be there by their boss and they don't want to be there. And this is a pain in their butt and they just wasted their time. And that's where I really lean on that framework that I described earlier, because if you just leave it to these really open sky, big questions, what's your motivation? I don't know, make money, whatever. But if you ask them pointed questions that remember, I think everyone knows, but I'll say it anyway, always open-ended, never a yes or no question. Then It's their their questions are small enough where they can answer them. And it's not asking them to really dig deep these soul searching questions that sometimes people fall into the trap of uh, asking, asking, what are you thinking about on the way to work? Your hope you're probably going to get more than a two word answer out of that. So when in doubt, um, really fall back on a template, your strategy, your plan that you built. That's what it's there for right? The strategy is there as that, that baseline to fall back when things go off the rails or this, or doesn't even you know launch, failure to launch, I guess is a good word for it. Um, and that will really help you just kind of keep pushing, keep asking. And then another tactic I found that really works uh, when you're not quite getting what you want from folks is a tool I learned when I was a journalist in undergrad. And I found a lot of successful product marketers are former journalists for this reason. And they know how to talk to customers. And what you do is ask a question, you get an answer. Maybe it isn't thorough, not very deep, kind of short. You just wait. You let that awkward silence develop. And you'll be shocked how many people from junior copywriters to CEOs cannot sit with that silence. We are programmed by society to not let the silence Linger that awkwardness. You can just cut it with a knife. And that's exactly what you want because then they're going to keep talking and we'll add on something. And then you be personable. You smile. Oh, okay. Tell me more. And then it gets the ball rolling a little bit, but there have been times where I had to whip that tactic out and let that silence, uh, fester and linger like every single question, <laughs> but I got what I needed. And that's what the point is. Right. And then you send the nice thank you note, and then you move on. <laughs>
1: Yeah, those are definitely painful moments. I've I've had to do that myself, where you just kind of shut up for a minute and let that silence breathe. And it's it's not easy. It is a skill that takes time to develop. But you're absolutely right. It, giving that space for someone to fill in the blanks themselves when they're not doing it on their own, otherwise, uh, can 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 make a big difference. Um, just just to build off your advice as well, a, a couple of things that you know in in listening to. And this likely won't be helpful in, in all situations because you're really going to talk with, let's say, a combative customer. But one thing that I've picked up on in listening to a couple of more political leaning podcasts is rephrasing the question if you mm. don't get the answer that you were hoping for the first time. Um, you know, just framing it in a different way or kind of pushing back on the answer a little bit. I have found, at least in those situations, the person answering kind of picks up on the fact that you likely weren't satisfied with their answer and yeah you might get the person just regurgitating the same answer the second time but they might also just be like okay well, maybe i didn't answer it the way that this person had, had intended me to or maybe i need to frame it ever so slightly differently to uh, to move on um so it's another kind of force uncomfort or discomfort i should say um but it can be effective in in certain situations um the last thing i think i'll add too is just know when it's okay to cut and run. Like I, I've been in customer interviews where it's clear that the person I'm, I'm chatting with, this is like the last thing they want to be doing. Maybe they signed up because you offered a, you know, $50 Amazon card or oh, yeah, you know, yeah. they, they were sure they were signing up for it until they logged on to the call and like, Oh, it's one of these conversations. And I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, Hey, going to be respectful of your time. Appreciate everything you have discussed today. I'll let you go 10, 15 minutes early and uh, you can get the time back. I think people would rather that than feel like you've just, force them to answer questions for the sake of answering questions to, to check them off, you know, your, your list of questions you got to ask. Um, and, and that can sometimes, you know, be appreciated by both parties. Cause no, no one wants to sit in a, in a conversation where you feel like neither party wants to be there. Those are never fun.
0: That's a great point. Yeah. knowing I'm to cut and run as a whole skill. You're absolutely right. Sometimes it's the, they just don't want to be there and they're not going to give you answers.
1: Even if you offer them a thousand dollars just call it, save your day, save theirs. Yeah, exactly. Move on to the next customer who who is willing to to share and and to have that conversation. Okay, so we've talked a lot about what you should do when interviewing customers. I want to spend just the last question here asking about what not to do. What are some of the common mistakes you've either seen or or made yourself? um, And what advice do you have uh, for listeners on how to avoid those mistakes? I've seen a lot of
0: Potentially successful customer interviews get cut short right before they deliver the good stuff, because the person who's interviewing them, they mistake them back to the very first question you asked. They mistake the strategy for have a casual conversation with, I need to be their friend. You're not there to be their friend and they don't want you as a friend. And they over. Uh, over agree with the customer. They're too enthusiastic. Oh yeah. yeah. I told t- you talking about, yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. I don't, I don't like that either. And the person wasn't done talking. So the interruption thing, that's a more tactical thing, but you, the, you need to kind of be a little bit removed. So you're not their best buddy in these conversations either. Um, like I just mentioned, it goes without saying, don't interrupt. Um, don't uh, over agree. Like I just said, um, don't don't assume, don't get, don't get the first answer and then move on check the box. Like sit and think about it. There's probably a follow-up question in there. You just need to kind of slow down, listen to what they said. Can you tell me more about that? I didn't fully understand that. Why do you say that? You really have to use your active listening skills to make sure every question you get, there's some, there's a perspective in there and not just regurgitating what they think the boss wants to hear or what the, the party line is or, or something something like that. And it's an art. You really have to do these customer interviews over and over and over again um, to really get the hang of it. And you're going to have a lot of bombs and you're going to have some good ones where they they have light bulb moments and you're like, oh, that's what a good one looks like. I want to do this again.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think it is very easy, especially for product marketers because we can at times be so action and task oriented to cut a customer off as they're going down the trail just because you know you only have five, 10 minutes left and you got to get to the next question. I think you'd be much better served, as you suggested, letting the interviewee finish their thought or expand on their thought and you know, ask the why questions to dig deeper and then say, hey, this was great. I understand that we're out of time. I want to be respectful of your time. So I'm gonna let you go, but I would love to have a follow-up conversation because we didn't get to all the questions. And I think the the person, you know, might say, you know what, I just don't have the time, or they might be like, Yeah, this was great. I'd love to keep chatting with you. And <clears throat> instead of trying to just force through all the questions and get very surface level, you're able to maybe not cover all of them, but go deeper in the ones that are most important. Um, so we, with that in mind, do you think it's 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 helpful to kind of front load the conversation with the most critical questions? Or do you try and establish a more of a logical flow of, I want to start in this topic and then it, you know, leads nicely into the next one. How would you approach a situation if you get the sense that this person is a long talker or is going to be someone who wants to ramble?
0: That's a great, great question. I think you have to make a game time decision on that. I think you have your strategy doc, right? You have your plan with, and one thing I didn't add earlier, which has been enormously helpful to me is under each question, you you have the topics that you want, right? Then three to four questions, a ladder up under each question you write, I do it in blue, a different color of what you're actual motivating, what thing you want to get to with that answer. So, cause you're trying to do a million different things, stay engaged, while will take notes and plan your next question. It kind of reminds you what the point of the question is you're actually answering, or asking in case you forget, because you will. So if you are two or three questions in, you realize, oh my God, this guy is a talker. I'm going to be here all afternoon. Then you pick out your top three questions in the moment. If it's the inverse, if that person is kind of difficult to work with, maybe they're not a big talker, then you have time to go through the methodical choice and it'll go about, it'll bounce back and forth. I found multiple times in that interview, you'll have a rambler and then a one word answer and then rambling again and the one word answer. So you have to constantly be making that call as you're going, which is why I keep, I keep hammering this strategy document, but it really is your anchor and your base because you have a lot of things going on when you're trying to manage a quote, casual conversation that will help you get keep you on track. So you walk away with what you needed. And that wasn't a waste of your 30 minutes. And you don't have to go back to your boss or your team or your product manager and say, didn't get it. Sorry, guys. I don't know. That's not, that's the last thing you want to do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I love that idea of having that kind of underneath your, you know, your themes and your questions, kind of what's the core thing you want to take away from this line of questioning, because it allows you to look at and say, Hey, did I get that? Yes. Right. Okay. I can move on. If not, I'll keep going. Cause again, I've been guilty of this myself where Hey, I've got a list of questions. I ask it. It gave me an answer. It was okay, but I'm gonna move on to the next one anyway. I think having that central idea of hey, this is what I got to get out of asking these questions for this part of the conversation is that forcing mechanism to say, did I get it? Okay, then let's stay here. Uh, if 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 I did, then great. I have the green flag to to move on to the next to the next section. So I think that's a really helpful um, structure that you've suggested. So thanks for sharing that.
0: Yeah. And I also found that it's helpful when you're uh, developing your analysis later because these interviews, they don't all take place on one day. I did interviews um, in the airport. I've done it in cabs. I've done it at my in-law's house. You did it in the office. And those are very different situations. And you're in different mindsets in each of those those locations. And it's very hard to put an analysis together when you're in a different... Your note-taking should be that good where it's all the same. It's not. We're humans. And if you have a structured... Uh, template. to to, So you're asking the same questions every time you're recording your notes pretty much the same way because you're in that template every time. When you go to analyze it and present it, it's much more standardized. And when you're talking to folks like the product team who tends to be more my experience, data-driven, hard facts, less fluffy, you come off as more credible because your analysis is tight, it's standardized, it's templatized. You're not just some person having conversations at Starbucks every other week, you know? So it really gives you benefits throughout the entire step of the process from A to Z.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Well, listen, Katie, this has been fantastic. I appreciate you sharing all the insights on how to conduct you know, proper customer interviews, how to approach them, what to avoid, I think it's been incredibly helpful, not only to myself, but to anybody listening. Um, Before I let you go, though, I want to ask you the last question, and it's one I've been asking everybody this year, so I'll ask it to you as well. Um, And that's, what's an area of focus within the realm of product marketing that you think product marketers will have to pay extra attention to? Maybe not this year, because this year's almost over, but let's say next year when compared to previous years.
0: So I'm so tempted to say AI because everyone's saying AI, but I won't. I'm not going to say AI. I'm going to say product marketers really need to pay attention to how their work is impacting the bottom line not open rates i'm talking revenue because with the economy the way it is certain sectors of the job market are really hot some are really depressed right now overall product marketing is continuing to have to defend i think your existence in organizations and if not your existence at least your seat at the table and so you need to be hyper focused on tying your efforts to what money is coming into the org, and more importantly, what money would not be coming into the org if you were not there. And you have to constantly be beating your own drum in a very professional way, of course, to make sure that folks don't forget that.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And just to build off on that, I think on the same side of tying product marketing efforts to money coming in, there's also some opportunities to tie it to money that's that could could potentially be going out, right? If you're focusing on some enablement movements or if you are working on with the sales team ways to shorten the uh, the sales cycle. Those are ways where you can say, "Hey, you know, we brought the sales cycle down from, I don't know, let's say 8 weeks to 6 weeks and that yes. allowed sales reps to move on to the next deal," um which yes, brought in this but also cut down on, you know, time on each individual deal or Hey, we're you know we're helping our success team um you know speak to these issues more effectively or these problems that Big our customers are effectively yeah and there and it's it's helping us with churn and it's it's you know improving retention those are ways on the other side of the equation that you can tie product marketing to uh you know a bottom line number um which you know I will say in chatting with product marketers over the past couple of years that that has been one of the more challenging things that I think a lot of product marketers struggle with but it is worth the time and investment figuring out because you're right when times get tough and people start asking hard questions internally about you know what functions are helping the business stay afloat you want to have a good answer to that question otherwise you know you could be having some very challenging conversations down the road um so yeah I think I think that's fantastic advice yes it's
0: never too early to constantly be justifying your work and promoting your work day one
1: of yeah. your on your new job find a way to do it Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, like I said, Katie, this has been super helpful. Um, you know, if anybody's listening and they want to chat with you about, you know, how they can best prepare for maybe some upcoming customer interviews that they've got planned or just pick your brain on all things product marketing, what would be the best way for them to get in touch with you?
0: I love the chat to anyone who wants to talk about customer research or all things product marketing. The best way to get a hold of me is LinkedIn. Catherine Hibson, easy to find, Shoot me a message and I'll get back to you. I'm in there every day, so I'll get back to you soon.
1: Awesome. Well, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for your time today, Katie.
0: Thanks for having me, Mark. appreciate it.
1: For everyone still tuned in, thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please help us spread the word to other product marketers. Before we leave you to get on with your day, if you want to get involved, here are a few ways you can. If you're a product marketer and want to come on the show and speak about your day, a specific topic, or your role in general, that's one option. If you want to flex your podcasting skills, a guest host is another and finally if you or your company want to spot to an episode there's a third thanks again and have a great morning afternoon or evening wherever you are